Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special edition, we visit the March for Science in Sydney and hear from public health expert Simon Chapman, science presenter Jonica Newby, and several of the people marching. Hundreds of thousands of people around the world marched for science on Earth Day last weekend, the Australian Academy of Science refused to support the event, stating that they thought science should not be politicised. Perhaps they should have said that to the government rather than the protesters. In Sydney's Martin Place Plaza, thousands of people gathered to show their support for science and to kick against the anti-science agenda of conservative governments in Australia and around the world. I grabbed my lab coat and my recorder and headed out to join them. Martin Place Plaza was noisy with construction of a new building to our left and helicopters constantly buzzing overhead. The helicopters were probably an aid of protecting visiting American Vice President Michael Pence from marauding scientists. The rally was hosted by TV and radio personality Julia McCrossan, who introduced speakers Simon Chapman, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney, TV science presenter Jonica Newby, co-founder of the ABC science show Catalyst, John Hewson, former leader of the Conservative Liberal Party, now Professor of Economics at the Australian National University, Eva Cox, sociologist and social commentator, and Angela Maharaj, a scientist at the University of New South Wales Climate Change Research Centre. Despite a police presence with surveillance cameras and horses, the march was very quiet and orderly. There wasn't even chanting from the marchers. Here's what people had to say. I'm John Hewson, I'm a professor in the Crawford School at ANU, ex-political leader, very concerned about the gap between science and, uh, and politics in the community. And why are you here today? Well, I'm concerned about the gap between... Uh, that's, you know, I think today science is probably more relevant, more useful than it's, it's ever been to the development of good policy, good government and so on. And yet there's a widening gap between politicians and the public on the one hand, I guess, and, uh, and scientists on the other. And, and I think we need to do what we can to close that gap and by what... addressing the significance of science. So by addressing the significance, we can change minds? We hope so. I mean, uh, we're in a world of sort of post-truth and... Uh, fake news and, and vested interests that always have models that prove their position, surprisingly. And, you know, we've got to somehow cut through that with, with facts and truth. And science is all about, you know, obviously generating, moving us towards the frontiers of knowledge. Obviously, at each stage, it can be challenged. But the scientific fact is, is it should not be ignored. Uh, it needs to be managed, perhaps, uh, but certainly not ignored. And Unfortunately, politics today being so short-term and opportunistic and populist, negative, it doesn't want to hear any of that. You know, if it doesn't suit their particular purposes on the day, they don't do it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to be part of it. And that's really, I think, somehow we've got to break out of that. And do, rallies like this, 
rallies and, and a whole host of other steps are just, this is very much just the first stage, but it's got to be something that's sustained. I think Trump will probably help because he'll keep, keep, keep making inane statements about some of these things which are contradicted by scientific evidence, but it, it's a slow process to win that argument. Well, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Well, we have some fantastic speakers to speak for science, and the first of them is Professor Simon Chapman AO, Emeritus Professor in Public Health at the University of Sydney. But I would like to welcome Simon Chapman, whom I'm sure you realise, I love noise, has done more. We may have a Vice President near us, and we hope very much that his government does a little bit better on the science front over the next period. But Simon Chapman has done more than many, many other people in the world to get a grip on tobacco. He has saved through his advocacy for tobacco control literally thousands and thousands of lives. And so I ask you to welcome a man passionate about evidence in public policy, Professor Simon Chapman. Good afternoon, Sydney. As you know, uh, there are an estimated over 500 meetings like this being held in approximately 53 countries around the world today. So, big shout out. Sydney for science. If we uh, went back 500 years, Copernicus had just published his book on the revolution of the celestial spheres. Now this was the death knell, as you know, for Ptolemaic astronomy, which placed the Earth at the centre of our universe. And over the next hundred years, Kepler, Tycho Brahe, Galileo, Isaac Newton added their observations and completed the Copernican revolution. And during that time, Galileo was of course put, tried and put under house arrest for the rest of his life by the Roman Catholic Inquisition for his heresy that the Earth moved around the Sun. Now the science had nothing to do with it. His conclusion was simply unacceptable to those in power. So 500 years later, today we see the new inquisitor, Trump, in charge of the world's most powerful nation. That's the first boo for Trump today. In the US, direct political interference in science is of course not new. Gun control research in the USA has been gutted effectively since 1996 when lobbying by the National Rifle Association succeeded in outlawing almost all firearms research conducted by the Centers for Disease Control. But we've really never seen anything like Trump. In the first week, he issued orders gagging scientists and other staff in the Environmental Protection Agency, the Departments of Agriculture, Health and Human Services, from speaking with the media and therefore to the American public. Is there anyone, is there anyone here today who doesn't expect Trump very soon to put conditions on the funding of state universities to weed out any science that might hinder his ambitions? But wait, he's already begun. The Department of Human Health and Services is getting an 18% funding haircut, a fifth 
of the National Institutes of Health budget is going. The global icon in international health, the Fogarty, Fogarty Centre is closing down. There are over 400 scientists who are funded throughout the United States just by that centre who are losing their jobs. And many researchers here today have colleagues living in Trump's America who just fear for their future. Their careers may be at an end. Trump's poodle, Scott Pruitt, you know, the one who has sued the Environmental Protection Agency 13 times, now runs it. And he's taking, a, he's taking a wrecking ball to the agency that he clearly loathes. The clean water rule is being shredded, giving carte blanche for mines and factories to pour effluent and waste into American rivers. Vice President Pence, who uh, is in our city today as we speak, thinks that evolution is just a theory and wants intelligent design taught in school science classes. And he's also on record as saying, and I quote, despite the hysteria from the political class and the media, smoking does not kill. In fact, two out of every three smokers do not die from smoking related illness. <laughs> now, by that logic, Ebola, smallpox and plague are not deadly either, because of course not all who get those diseases die from them either. And he's, Trump has put an anti-vaccination wingnut in charge of reviewing uh, vaccine policy in the United States. Now, the recent attacks in Australia by scientific illiterates have mostly been on climate science, but they've gone well beyond that. The suppository of all wisdom, Tony Abbott, who continues to hang around like a fart in a phone booth, famously called climate science crap. And he attempted to gut the CSIRO, abolished, he has abolished the National Preventive Health Agency before he was so rudely interrupted, was working his way through the Institute of Public Affairs list of 75 policies that they want scrapped. And since 2012, we've seen not one, not two, but three Senate inquiries into the non-disease of wind turbine syndrome. The NHMRC was pressured to quarantine funds to fund this nonsense. And after all this, the Wind Farm Commissioner, who issued his first annual report just a week or so ago, needed to negotiate the resolution of just four complaints. So I think if we elect these clowns, we've got to expect a circus and we're getting one. The Australian Academy of Science has disappointingly declined to endorse today's march. It says in an email that many of you will have seen that Australia is not like the USA and science should not be politicised. But hello, science is being politicised and it's being politicised by Australian politicians who are attacking it, seeking to weaken areas that threaten ideologies of untrammeled growth and short-term profits. Early in my career, I went to the town hall and I heard Ralph Nader, the consumer activist, speaking about what he called uh, the duty of citizens to do something for their communities. And he put it to everybody in the room, and it was made a big impression on me in my early 20s, that you ought to, despite what you do in your life, just do something to contribute towards the community. And I've been trying to do that for the last 40 years. But 
many scientists, many scientists, for all the fantastic work that we all do, are very shy about telling the world about what we do. So I'd like to appropriate Ralph Nader's, you know, mission for us all and say, if you're a scientist, if you're doing fantastic work, if you're doing work that's important for the future of humanity and our planet, please make it your scientist citizen's duty to get out there and write for the public about it, to speak to the media about it, to speak to community groups about it, to, to, to write to your politicians, to attend meetings like this. Thank you very much. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. So my name's Mike Hall. I'm a, I live on the northern beaches of Sydney on Scotland Island. So why are you marching today? Well, I'm very concerned that we've, we've lost the plot and that we've got some people in power who are ignoring some really basic science and that's a real worry and I think as citizens we need to stand up and be counted for what matters and science has really achieved some amazing things and when you have politicians gaining power who are ignoring science it's a real concern. So basically you'd like to see some evidence-based policy that would be good. That would be good. Look, I'm also aware, of course, that you know sometimes science is is uh, comes up with things that are inconvenient, that are difficult, that raise all sorts of ethical issues, uh, issues around political power and how we how we manage that as a society. But I think we've got to be able to have that conversation in a way in which we respect the process that scientists bring to what they do. And so I think we need to separate, you know, the science from the political questions and, and so forth. Those are all conversations that are worth having. But we can't toss out uh, the scientific method just because it happens to be inconvenient politically. Or the results. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of my biggest concerns, of course, is climate change. I think that's a huge, huge threat. And we are, you know, I meet people in the community all the time who say to me, oh yes, but the science is still out. You know, that is just not true. The evidence is there. We need to take action. We need to keep this right at the top of the agenda. And so that's why I'm here, because I think it's really important stuff. Well, thank you very much. No worries at all. Jonica Newby, of course, is a science writer and broadcaster and a founding member of Catalyst on ABC TV. She was also the presenter of the ABC TV series, The Animal Attraction, which was all about the domestication of pets, and she's written a book of the same name. She has twice, not once, but twice won the very prestigious Australian Museum Eureka Prize for Science Journalism. Please welcome Jonica. that it may surprise you to hear that when I was a child I wouldn't have said I had a particular aptitude for science. To me it was simply part of being educated. You did humanities, you did sciences. It never occurred to me not to include science because how else do you find out about shit? Yeah. 
everyone I meet has an interest in science. What to eat, how to exercise, the best ways to deal with cancer, why people think the way they do. These are all questions best engaged with through science, not because scientists know best. It's simply because, as you all know, science is a method, not a tablet set in stone. It's a way of gathering and testing ideas and evidence to find the truth. There are still people, some of them in power, who believe science and scientists are somehow separate from society. Do they find truth inconvenient? Well, in a post-fact world, well, there's another word for post-facts, isn't there? It's lies. So why don't we all, and those people in particular, try this little thought experiment. Try getting up in the morning and noticing every time you have to thank a scientist. Okay, so for me, it starts with my alarm. I would reach over to my smartphone and turn it off. Thank you, smartphone, for being clever enough to go to the right time zone no matter where I am. Thank you to all the satellites and the rocket scientists who develop them so they can bounce that useful information into my phone. I swing over to get up out of bed. Oh cool, my legs actually work. Thank you, scientists, who turned me into a cyborg by inventing the titanium artificial disc I have inserted in my spine to solve crippling back pain. I get dressed. <laughs> I get dressed. Thank you to all the people who invented those really nice stretchy fibres so I don't ever have to iron my clothes. Thank you to toothpaste inventors. I get to keep my teeth, hopefully, into old age. I turn on the radio and listen to the news. Thank you, Marconi, for your radio wave discoveries. And to, and to all those scientists who allow those words being spoken in a studio somewhere to be beamed to me, or it's coming through my smartphone in my own time, that news. Thank you to the team at CSIRO who use their knowledge of scanning the stars to invent Wi-Fi. And you know it, but let's reflect on that. It took years for a team of star scientists to invent Wi-Fi while they had ongoing research support. Now, bloody hell, how many scientists have I had to thank? And I've only been awake 10 minutes. The point is obvious. There is not a part of our lives that does not depend on the ongoing work of science and scientists. The pace of change is extraordinary. If we don't have some understanding of it, it can overwhelm us. So how then has the war on science advanced so far? How do we get to a world where if you say an untruth often enough and loud enough, e.g. climate change is a hoax, people will believe you, even to the point of denying what they can see with their own eyes? Is gravity a hoax? Is DNA a hoax? Is Trump? Damn it, a hoax. And I am going to talk briefly about climate change because it has been a tense 
to suppress discussion of this existential threat that triggered the March for Science movement worldwide. Now, I could point to extreme weather, I could point to the, uh, the increasing frequency of floods, I could point to the fact that our coral reefs are already showing signs that they're going to be gone in 50 years. But I can give you a really simple example of how our world is changing. I can see it with my own eyes. I'm a skier and I'm watching firsthand the snow disappearing. A little story, I was in Japan for the first time earlier this year skiing, a little treat to myself after Catalyst got slightly rearranged, so we say. And uh, it was my first time there. I was expecting to see lots of Australians. Yes, they were all there. They shared their Vegemite around. And what surprised me, though, was all these Europeans turning up. There were Swiss people and Finns and Germans and Norwegians. And I even skied with a couple of Austrian ski instructors on holiday. What, what were Austrian ski instructors doing taking a holiday in Japan in the middle of the ski season in Europe? The answer was simple. They were coming to look for snow. Now, losing a ski slope might seem like a first world problem, but what about all the major rivers that supply billions of people with food from agriculture that rely, those rivers rely on snow melt? We all know if we're going to have any chance of riding the coming waves of change, it will be science and technology that will give us solutions. Science and technology that will help our economy surf the change, surf the transitions, rather than drown. But science and technology require public support and political will, genuine and sustained support for education and discovery and seeking truth not just lip service. But won't the private sector do science? Well, the truth is the private sector isn't set up for the kind of science that brings game-changing scientific breakthroughs, like Wi-Fi. The private sector is set up to take full advantage of those breakthroughs. It's a symbiotic relationship. For example, here is a smartphone, synonymous with Steve Jobs and private enterprise. This smartphone was a bringing together of seven different technologies, none of which were invented by business, all of which were developed by public funded organisations and universities. Science is truth. Science is wealth. Science is adventure. So if you see that your lifestyle and health depend on the continued fruits of modern science, and if you are concerned that the voices of anti-science are winning, then speak up for science and keep doing so until the wreckers stop wrecking. My name is Angie, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of New South Wales. And why are you marching today? 
I'm marching because I love science and of course that biases me. But I also think that science can help people even if they're, if they're not particularly interested in science. I think it's important for them to know that it can help them and it does help them every day. It helps the people that they love and it can help the environment and the planet they, that they live on. So I just want to communicate that. What do you think is the next step after marching? That's a very good question. It's something which has, I think, held a lot of people back from coming today is the thought that, well, look, what do marches accomplish? But if you want to apply some science to this and use an analogy, evolutionary biology happens in very small increments over incredibly long periods of time. And so it just means we keep building those little pieces every day and we persist at it. Uh, so this is a good little leap forward, um, but it's each individual action. So communicating to podcasts and airing your own podcasts, talking to your family members and talking to your community and being open to being engaged by other people. Thank you very much. No worries. All the best. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. I'll have John Hewson's speech and more interviews from the March for Science next week. And a special thank you this week to the very generous donation by Joanna from Sydney. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Go to the website and click the tab on the right to send a voicemail to be played on air. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Support the show at patreon.com slash Diffusion Radio. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produced Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, and 3MBR in the Malibor districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, March for Science photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.